Hey friends, welcome back to Thriving Thoughts. I'm your host, Dr. Sherry, and today we are in for a therapy session, y'all. We've got an expert, an expert on anxiety and a lot of other things like attachment that we're going to find super cool. You're going to love her. Nancy McFarland is in the house today. And a sincere thanks to my friend Derek Kretzer for the music that you're listening to in the background. Check him out on Instagram and Facebook. And I'm really grateful you guys are here listening today. In my conversation with Nancy, you guys are going to hear a tale. And it's not a tale. It's actually a story, her story. She shares a little bit about her search for her birth mother and might I add her illegal search she was never supposed to know about. Now, this is fascinating stuff for a therapist <laughs> to talk about her own journey working through attachment issues. This is incredible stuff. I know you guys are going to love Nancy just as much as I do. So lean an ear in, lean in your heart as she teaches us to remember ourselves. Hey, good morning, good day, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. Dr. Sherry here with my special new friend and guest, Nancy McFarland. Nancy, thanks so much for joining me for the show today. It is such an honor to be here. Thank you, Sherry. You're welcome. It's so funny (laughs) because I start the show laughing because um, I don't even remember what we were laughing about right now. I said something like, I think I'll ask you this. And you said, okay, well, let's, let's just do it. Let's just go. Impromptu lifestyle is improv. Right. right. Yes. So this is, this is what we do. We just uh, have a conversation <laughs> that's candid and authentic and we air it to the women listening because something of value will come from this conversation that somebody listening needs to hear today. So yeah. Yeah. So thanks for being on the show. Nancy, where are you at? I'm in Oakland, California. For orientation purposes, I am right next to San Francisco. Okay. So I have a very good friend who lives in Walnut Creek. Huh. That's not far. 40 minutes. Nope. A little south. That's so cool. And she's actually in the, in the psychology world. I, she and I, um, yeah, she and I did, uh, she was doing her psychology internship and I was doing my psychology residency at the same facility in Virginia. And, but she's from Walnut Creek. So she's back home now. And I, I think she's working for Kaiser. I'm not sure. Yes, that's. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, yay. I know something a little bit about California. So, okay, wait a second. So I got to ask you, like, how far is that from Calabasas and all of this news of Kobe Bryant? Oh, I'm, I'm North and that's South. But So like uh, way far away? Yeah. It would take uh, a flight an hour, hour and 10 minutes. Oh, oh, okay. So it's far. Yeah. Yeah. It's a nice day long drive. Okay. All right. Traffic. So are you from California? I am not. I was born in North Carolina. I was raised in South Carolina. You are an East Coast girl. Mm-hmm. And I wow. moved to California when I was, I think, in my late 20s before I moved abroad. So I think I was about 26 or 7 or something. I came out here actually to meet my birth mother. Oh, tell us about that girl. See, she's already surprising me with stuff I did not know. Look, I mean, we talked on the phone briefly for a few minutes, but right. I, okay. T- tell us the story, discovering your birth mother. Yeah, I was adopted. Um, so as I said, I was born in North Carolina, in Charlotte. And um, soon thereafter, I was put up for adoption. My, Do you know um, how old you were? I mean, I guess I'm assuming you were still an infant. Oh, no, when I was adopted? Yeah. No. So oh. my mother, my birth mother named me Jennifer. Uh, Jennifer Janice. After I was conceived in the Azori Islands off the coast of Portugal because my mother was very young and she was there with her family. Her father was a civil service employee. My okay. father was um, in the Air Force. That's how okay. they met. Um, so they came back to the States Uh, Her parents were very unhappy because my father is black and my birth mother is white. That was not okay. So her, your, your mom's parents weren't happy. No. Oh, (laughs) it was actually illegal. Literally in the state of South Carolina for two people of different races to do anything. Um, So when they came back to the States, they sent, and she did finish high school. Um, She wasn't uh, showing enough. But they sent her away to a girl's home 
an unwed mother's home in Charlotte, which was fairly common back then because okay. it was just inappropriate to be pregnant. What what year, what year are we talking about? 70, I was born. Nice. Okay. I know. I just put you on the spot there. <laughs> I don't I'm, care. I'm wondering because I'm wondering, you know, for the listeners, how, yes. how this was not that long ago. No. Thank you. It was not that long it ago. It was not that long not ago, girl. Now. You and your young self. Go ahead. In my grade. I love it. Um, <laughs> so they sent her to the unwed mother's home. She'd gone away for the for the fall. Gone away. Um, oh gosh. Yes. Isn't yes. that you know, you just hit on something. That is what we still do as women is just sweep that little stuff right under the rug. Oh, right? not only that, but when um, she was in the home. They uh, all the girls were given different names, and they were all given wedding rings. So when they were taken to malls or wherever, they would have to wear these wedding bands, and they would get their names confused. Keep up appearances, you tell me all these, right? Yes, absolutely. Wow! Absolutely. Wow! That's involved. incredible. A lot of shame involved. Wow! So she stayed there until I was born, and. Um, she said that she was with me for a day or two, and um, then she let me go, and she went back to her family, which I don't, I think she told me her parents didn't visit her during that time. Wow. So it was hard. It was a hard situation being that sure. young. Um, so she went back and continued her life, and they told her that they that she would never, ever see me again. There would be no hope. She kept photos of me for a while, which I never got to see because it was just overwhelming and difficult for her. So I was sent somewhere in South Carolina. I don't know. But I was adopted at 18 months. But in between, my name was Rebecca. Wherever I was, they named me Rebecca. And it was only when I was adopted did my name become Nancy. Girl. So at 18 months, you had three different names. Yeah. Jennifer, Rebecca, and then Nancy. Yes. I have personality. You sure (laughs) do, girl. Well, hey, okay. I need to ask you a question because back when I was doing, um, you still haven't told us we're going to get there, I promise, about you coming out to California to meet your birth mother. Right. Yeah, that's where we started with this. But um, just, you know, curious question, one professional to another. You're, you're in the therapy world. You're, you're mm-hmm. a therapist, right, yes. in California. Mm-hmm. So when I practiced traditional clinical psych, I saw a lot of um, tweens and teens who were adopted from abroad uh, because that was, you know, coincided with the time mm-hmm. where that kind of became in vogue to adopt mm-hmm. from, you know, yes. Russia and China mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. Um, and there was not one adopted child who did not have um, significant challenges with attachment. And so I'm just going to like put it out there. What about you? Like, are you the exception to the rule or is there a lot of stuff that you've had to work through? <laughs> Oh, I'm still working through it. Yeah, yeah, girl, I bet. It's it's um it's really interesting because when women are pregnant, uh particularly in the last probably 10 years or so, there's a, so much attention given to the mother child bond and they have the women talk to the babies and I I work with a psychiatrist when I worked at an acute hospital and I was talking to the baby And like, even after he was born, she's like, oh, you remember Nancy's voice. But when you're adopted, it's like none of that happened to you. Like you were never bonded to anyone. That's right. And I think in the primal wound, it's, it's really addressed so well how that happens and the, and the insult to our humanity as not being human and not being connected. Um, That's that's really unfortunate. Well, it is. And it's very unfortunate. So not only that, but once once you're uh, relinquished and given away, you don't know where you are. You don't know these people. They don't have the bonds to you. They don't. I mean, yes, they want to be nice people. They want to be kind. Hopefully, wherever you I don't know where I was. I think I was in an orphanage, but I am not given the privilege to know that it's actually illegal. So anyway, um, it it stays with because we're human. And we have the same needs as babies 
just yes. like everyone else, but they're discounted yes. and yes. and just you didn't have those. Or if, if you did, you should just be happy that you were somewhere. <laughs> that somebody took you. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Wow. So, yes, I have struggled with attachment. I, I am growing through that process. Yeah. And the more I am aware of it, I think so many people, not just adopt, not just adoptees, but just people in general have issues with attachments yeah. because oh, yeah. we have so many uh, family dynamics happening. For sure. Parents are stressed. They have their own unresolved issues. Yeah. So to the extent that they can attach to themselves as people, how yeah. many people know what they're feeling and knowing mm-hmm. how those feelings translate into their next behavior? Oh, my Very goodness, few. <laughs> I just did. I literally just did on my Dr. Sherry Facebook page. I do a, a weekly uh-huh. live every Tuesday at 1230. Mm-hmm. I literally just did a live right before we hopped on this call um, where I talked about how feelings are information. They are not fact, but they are information and they are information that is not to be ignored. And especially in Western culture, we ignore them. We stuff it down, you know, we sweep it under the rug like we talked about. So I love that you just said that. Yeah. People don't know what they feel because they dismiss it. Absolutely. The, our emotions are primal. They are a part. And I'm big on just being human. And yeah. no matter what color you are, no matter what race That's you right. are, no matter your culture, your language, you are human. And it comes yeah. with this wide array of gifts of being. And yeah. one is emotion. Yeah. So your emotion is first. You don't think about it. It is something that comes. They. It is argued that feelings are a more cognitive experience, but emotions are primal. They just happen and you don't know why. And we ignore them and they have an effect. So if you get upset, you don't, you don't even know why you're upset and you're, Oh, it doesn't matter. But the next time you talk to someone and say in two minutes, you're more snippy or you're more dismissive and you're like, well, what's going on? But you've had emotion already. And if you look at just, before you even leave your home on any given day, how many times your being has been or has experienced some sort of assault? Yeah. By either the news or a thought you had or about something you're thinking about that's going to happen next year or the possibilities of all of these or how someone looked at you or how someone didn't make you call, all these things yeah. and we ignore them. So there is a cumulative effect in how mm-hmm. we live our lives and we are so burdened ourselves, <laughs> our neural networks, our blood, our all these hormones are rushing yeah. around in us confused, confused and sad. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, we need to use the reasoning brain that we were gifted with to explore that. So that's what I'm still doing with attachment. Yeah, Yeah, girl. Oh, I'm still being aware. Yes. I don't have attachment issues, but maybe I do. And I don't know it. I mean, I think we all do to some degree. Um, right. We all have relational, uh, challenges, beliefs, that sort of thing. But Okay, so I derailed you, but this is good stuff. I never answered your question. No, you did. This is good stuff. Okay, go back. Tell me, you went to California because you originally went there. Oh, wait, one more thing, which Uh I just find like talking of emotions, like I got this visceral response when you said it was illegal to find out where you were as an infant. Oh, actually, the whole thing was illegal. I, I'm not supposed to know any of this. It was it's illegal. I'm not even sure it's legal now in South Carolina. And a lot has changed in, in the last 20 years. But in South Carolina, if I took my birth father and I know who he is as well, okay. and I took my birth mother and we showed up and I was like, I like my original birth certificate. They would say, no, I am not to know it was illegal. The whole process. Please don't turn that. Me that <laughs> is an insult to your humanity. Yes, like, it is. We're just. I have my this. dog's pedigree papers. Right, right. I have I a genuinely uh, purebred pug. He's so cute. But I have oh. his papers. I don't have mine. Which is so interesting because when you were talking about, and this is so sad. So you and I are both dog lovers. I have two hounds. <laughs> They're sleeping in the room with me right now. By the way. Um. But when you were describing this being, you know, taken and kind of being 
rescued, right? Mm-hmm. Like as though you should be happy yes. to have a place to go. Yes. What came into my mind was like, that's the attitude that we have towards rescue dogs. Like absolutely, so we've provided them. Like you are not a dog. You are right. a human being. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. Incredible. Okay. So bring us back. California, you went there to visit your birth or to meet your birth mother. So I met her. Um, and that was extraordinary. I was in my early twenties when I finally called and I had done a illegal search okay. and had gotten assistance from an you. underground organization. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh, it what was is it like underground adoption papers revealed? I was not allowed to ask how, but oh. I know that it was all illegal. Oh, girl, I love you. I love you even more. I love this. She's a woman on a mission that said, I will not be deterred from finding Well, I needed to know. So in my adoptive family, it didn't all go so well. Um, (laughs) I don't need to be adopted to have had some of the stuff happen. But I was always reminded that I was adopted. And then Mm. in the next second, uh why are you acting like this? Well, why are you doing this? So there were all these exceptions that were not consistent. So I always knew I was very different. Um, so anyway, I needed to know, I just needed to know. Yeah. I needed to know. And I'm curious enough that I really needed to know. So I went forth and I did that. So I remember the day before I finally called my birth mother I was given instructions on how to do it because there's a protocol because should something happen, you need to have already given them your phone number in case the, either the birth father, birth mother freaks out when you talk to them. Okay. And they usually do. They'll have your phone number. So anyway, I called and then I hung up the phone after I think she answered (laughs) and then I called back the next day and she was very happy. So it was about maybe a month later I was traveling with an orchestra and I left uh, that trip to come meet her in California. And that was amazing because our photos missed each other. But of course she had a better idea of how I looked than she (laughs) she did. (laughs) So it was interesting uh, at the San Francisco airport. uh, So she met you there. Yeah. With my little brother. Wow. That was something. And then I met my father about, I think it was in the same year, but I mean, she lives here and I have contact with her frequently, but it was. So you uh, have a relationship with her now? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. She just had eye surgery or retinal tear. <laughs> oh my goodness. I am wow. so grateful. I was really, really, truly blessed. Her family, she and her family have just been so open throughout this whole process I have helped people find their parents and it did not go so well where people, they, they were always a secret uh-huh. and the shame of the whole experience, they don't share and tell anyone, but they have been open, just magnificent and have treated me like I was always there. And they, they have had conversations and they told me they've always kept me alive yeah. in family conversations. Wow. And I, I, I thank them again at Christmas, just for being so open and it's helped me heal so much as well as with my paternal family, my father, I'm in contact with him and my siblings with him. I was blessed absolutely unequivocally. Now let me ask you, do you call her? What do you call her? Mom. You do. So when I'm talking to other people, it's, it's confusing unless there's a very distinct context. Okay. I know who I'm talking about because I, sure. my adoptive mother is now 91 and in a facility. Oh, so wow. I still talk about mom. So people are like, which one? Right, right. About? Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> so, Hey, can you, if you, if you feel so inclined, um, but I know I'm not the only one that's wanting to know, um, you know, when we experience these things like you had this need to know. And there are people when we make decisions in our lives as adult women, there are people in our lives who are impacted, right? Mm-hmm. And so you had this need to know who your birth mother was. And you mentioned, you know, kind of in a cursory fashion that your adoptive family, maybe there was some fallout there from that. Um, could you talk a little bit about how you navigated those relational challenges when you were pursuing 
this illegal pursuit, Miss Nancy? <laughs> well, I wasn't in South Carolina. I was, um, I had just, I had just started teaching when I actually found her. Okay. So I was a little removed, but my relationship with my adoptive mother and my adoptive family had been rocky because of abuse issues and a mm. lot of trauma in the family. So, okay. Um, yeah. So it's always now, been that way. Like, rocky. yes, it, yes, yeah. okay. absolutely. But I did address it with my adoptive mother and it was the truth. And I think that's what helped that it really had nothing to do with her and had yeah. nothing to do with my adopted mother. So despite it not making sense, because like uh, some people are very open, they believe in open adoptions yeah. and they are always encouraging the adoptee to search and to, to connect. She wasn't like that. Actually what she told me was quite false about in Maybe that is what she was told. But once I got my non-identifying information, it was completely inconsistent with what I'd always been told. Okay. So she did ask me a couple of times and I was like, it really just has nothing to do with you. I need to know. And, and in my adoptive family, they had venerated their parents so much throughout their lives. Mm-hmm. I knew. And they reminded me at um, moments that weren't, the best that I was adopted. So I knew that those people Mm. were not me. So I wanted to find me. So that's what I kept telling her. Okay. They eventually met and loved each other. Wow. But wait, can you go back a second? Because I think what you just said was really powerful. You said that my, you said that your adoptive family reminded you Mm-hmm. Uh, inopportune, as if there is an opportune time. Right. But they reminded you that you were adopted. Mm-hmm. And there, I was going to ask you why you needed to do this, why you needed to find your birth mom. And you, you answered me there. You said, because they, my adoptive family was not me mm-hmm. and I needed to find me. Mm-hmm. Can you dive into that a little bit? Because mm-hmm. I have a suspicion that, like, I want to understand more where you're coming from with my adoptive family was not me. And here's why I'm asking, because Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of people who are part of uh, biological families who Mm -hmm. feel like are not me. Mm -hmm. So I was just wondering if you can touch on that a little bit. It was a primal instinct for me. I don't know if I can give you um, a real authentic, logical response to it, but I needed to know it, and I must admit a part of it was to go against my adoptive family because I didn't have a good experience. There was some inkling of hope towards something else. Okay, got it. So that was a part of it. But I wanted to know, well, who did I look like? They were always talking about how they look like their parents, how they had these mannerisms like their parents. I mean, they, I cannot even just constant (laughs) reminders that you venerated their parents. Yeah. Yeah. But they, they didn't always do it against me that, I mean, they still do it. They venerate. I've never witnessed anything like, like it, but so I was all, while I knew I was adopted and I knew I had characteristics like them, of course, but I was curious. Well, how, how is it that I came to look like this? And, and also because I was being, I was, I'm a sexual abuse survivor. I was like, well, what would have happened had they kept me? So that was always going on in my mind. Yeah. So there was just this unknown that I needed to know. So when I found my birth parents, I made a lot more sense. I just really made, I have the, not character, but the, like personality uh, of, I can see both because I have been very hot headed in my life. Uh-huh. Not saying that I don't have the capacity now, uh, but it makes sense knowing them and just wow. mannerisms like it is it, that nurture versus yeah. um, nature. Uh, nature, yes. And there's a beautiful poem if, if anyone ever wants to look it up. It's the legacy of the adopted child that addresses that. And once there oh. were two mothers, they never knew each other. And at the end, it said, "Which are you a product of my? Um, which are you a product product of? Neither my my." Neither my darling, neither just two different types of love. Okay. 
So wow, it, that's beautiful. I, Two different types of love. Yeah. Yeah. I can see how I get a lot of my character from my adoptive family, but my personality, some of my personality traits, I'm just blown away. Even people who've heard me talk, like my intonation a little bit has sounded like my birth mother. People, you know, people I've dated who've met and who've known both sides. Yeah. So it's really, it was such an experience of integration for me. Mm-hmm. to put all the pieces together and most importantly to know that I am still me. Yes. So for people in biological families, you know, I'm, I am very spiritual. I have very strong spiritual beliefs. So yes, while this part of me needed to understand my biology, yeah, I don't have the, absolute knowing of why we are here in certain families. There are theories that we choose our families. And I'm like, well, why would I choose this experience? Why, why, oh, why would I have (laughs) this combination? I don't know, because I've been challenged continuously with attachment, even with my birth parents. They come and go because they have their own issues. So even in a, a family where you were born into the family, you were still your own person. That's right. That's right. And, and under in appreciating that that is the truth that no matter what yeah. family you were connected to, you have this life to live that yeah. is that surpasses biology. Yeah. And it, it, again, it's a human experience and, yeah. and, and a spiritual experience that yeah. you were born there to, perhaps to learn, to grow, and then to share and serve the greater. Yeah. 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 I love that. That's beautiful. Now, I want to ask you a question. Did you, let me preface the question. So as women in particular, I think that we tend to, establish or define our worth and value by the feedback, not necessarily verbal. So feedback being experiences, um, intonations, words, uh, memories, whatever it is, um, relationships. We use that to evaluate and define our value or our worth. And so I wonder if, um, when you discovered that, you know, I was still me, did having that complete picture of you, having this complete picture of the, you know, the history of the adoptive family and then the history and the history and present of both adoptive family and birth family, um, did you find that that discovery led you to a different um, way of evaluating your worth? Well, I think even during the process, I was at a state of extreme depletion of a sense Mm. of self. So anything (laughs) was a bonus at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was, it was the beginning because there was an integration, like just this cognitive experience, just that alone. And actually seeing this woman, like I cannot, it's so hard to describe looking at this woman, knowing that she gave birth to me, but I just met her. Yeah. That I'm a, I mean, it is a wild feeling and I've only met my father twice and it was about a month, two months ago. uh, My sister, her, his daughter uh, sent me a photo of him and I just, I was like, Oh my God, that man is my father. And I didn't grow up with a father because my adoptive mother's husband died right before the adoption was finalized. Oh my goodness. Right. So I never even had a father. So sometimes he says things and it's no fault of his because he's had children, (laughs) but I haven't had a father. So then when he says it, I'm like, Oh my God, that's so weird. He's saying like, I'm your father. I was like, Oh my God. Okay. I know he's my father. Is he even talking about it? I'm like, Oh my God. And I've said that. And I've said that. I was like, I hear you, but I don't even know what that means. Yeah. That just doesn't resonate with me. It's almost like fingernails on a chopper. Yeah. What? I don't know what that means. And I don't want to know. It's scary. (laughs) So there are all these unknown things. So even if you're again in a a family where you were born into that family, 
it is inevitable that some things aren't going to feel natural to you because you still are an independent being That's in right. this world. Yeah. Yeah. That's and great. really, again, noticing the emotion, being with them, and yeah. accepting that even if you don't tell other people that it's just what's happening. Right. It is the what is. And whether you have shame about it or you're afraid of it, it's what's happening. And the more you can acknowledge that, ooh, that felt really weird. That was yeah, that was right. Crazy, right. The right. better just you calling, are, whether just calling it out, absolutely. Yeah. So, is that what drew you, like <clears throat> this, you know, dynamic um, childhood and and formative experience that you've had? Is that what informed your decision to pursue work in the therapy realm? I am sure it did. Um, I've always, no, I don't think it was, I don't think it was purposeful. However, my cousin told me about a a month ago that this had always been my dream and I don't remember, but he is definitely my sacred history. So if he says so, I trust him. You trust him. Okay. Um, Because I've always been curious about why things are happening and why am I feeling this way? And I have been on a persistent journey of discovery since, Mm -hmm. I've known myself. Yeah. I, I and I've always, uh, even with the woman who was my babysitter, she was old, and I remember the smell of being gay out. But she would tell me things about her life, <laughs> and older people would just come and talk to me, and I don't know what I was saying because I was young. So it's always been yeah. sort of like this experience I've had with people all over the world wherever I've gone. Okay. So it was natural, and then as I continued to put my pieces together, I realized that, wow, I can serve. Yeah. I really can do this on a, on a professional level. Yeah. So that's how I shifted. I think it's, it's brilliant. Um, how we're just, we kind of fall into these places exactly where we're, um, I don't know, just the best fit places, you know, and how um, there's this, I think of, you know, physician heal thyself. So there's this misconception that um, kind of like, kind of like, um, um, well, any, any field, I mean, you could look at it in the religious field, you can look at at it in the um, uh, psychotherapy field. But people expect you to like have mm-hmm. your stuff together. Like if you are yeah. like, right, if you're like in that role yes, and you're helping people work through their stuff, you better have figured out your stuff. And my philosophy, I'd be interested yeah. in hearing, you know, if you agree or disagree with me on this. But my philosophy is that we are always working it out. Like we are if always, we, always doing it. Yeah. Like if we stop and we claim to have attained some level of, you know, self-awareness, self-discovery that, aha, I've arrived. Like that person cannot be trusted. Absolutely. There (laughs) is no end. There is no end because wherever you think you want to be in any realm of your life, once you're there, then you're, uh, okay, there's something else. There is no end. And that's what makes living so amazing. There is no end. And something that I have to say about um, being a therapist that I know and I believe for sure that when you are in um, this work with an individual that they can only go so far as you can go. Okay. So if to the extent that, to the extent that I've done my work, that I can't hold any greater space for this person that's come to me. So if I haven't processed my sexual abuse, how can I sure. hold that space for them without falling apart and not having yeah, the, yeah, yeah, the yeah, awareness yeah. and the yeah. the space to hear? So I worked at an acute psychiatric hospital. So, and I, these people were extreme in their psychosis or trauma. They've tried to kill themselves. So there's very yeah. little that can freak me out. So when I'm sitting with people, they don't freak me out. So I yeah. can hold massive space for trauma and for just 
immense depression and sadness and yeah. all these experiences, but I've processed a lot of mine. Right. So I think that's really important that you can only go so far as a therapist when you're, I mean, I've had clients be honest about when their therapist has cried, like uncontrollably oh, when they've oh, talked to them. Not as in And that has freaked them out. Em empathy, but no. Oh, no. as in I'm working right, on my own because they haven't resolved. <laughs> exactly. And it's a yeah. Right. So it is important to know that your therapist is human. Yeah, that's and right. And hopefully is on a very purposeful journey to yeah. continue to resolve and work and healing. What's your specialty in the therapy world? I am specializing in anxiety. Mm, oh, girl. You don't know how many of us deal with that, <laughs> right? I think all well, of us. Well, the WHO says that pretty much most of the world, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So, so tell us what you know about it. Tell us like, how do we stop that? You know, I'm I just have myself, to say but, for the uh -huh. listeners. So Nancy just took a deep breath. She leaned back <laughs> and she's like, she like totally went into therapist mode on me <laughs> because that's what people do, right? They ask you impossible questions. Nancy, how do we stop being anxious? <laughs> Well, I am, I'm just going to repeat myself because in my work with all these people, it really is the more confident you are in who you are as a human, the less anxious you are. Yeah. Because yeah. then what are you to be afraid of? That's what right. are you so concerned about in when someone looks at you weird or yeah. when this person is walking down the street and doesn't say hi, or you get this bill in the mail, when you have a very grounded sense of self, fewer yeah. things bother you. And we all experience anxiety for sure. Yeah. Uh -huh. To the extent that it is debilitating and you are unable or one is unable to execute normal activities in his or yeah. her life, that's concerning. But the work that I've done with so many people, the more they feel whole again, the yeah. more they remember of who they are and their capacities and that they have potential and they have gifts and they, yeah. they reconnect with this. It is mind blowing yeah, how, sure. how their anxiety decreases. Yeah. So honestly, I don't teach a lot of techniques. Most of my work is, um, ensuring that my clients remember, remember. So mm. put yourself back yeah. together. Yeah. yeah. Remember who you are in all aspects. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. Remember, you know, it's, it's, it's so, um, intellectually easy when we think about it. The argument mm -hmm. that you just made, which is not an argument, but I think I take it as truth because when we're not focused on who we are, when we're not focused on, like we talked about earlier, dismissing emotions or discounting emotions or whatever, mm -hmm. when we're not focused on us and peeling back those layers and getting to know who we are and understanding ourselves and having that grounded sense of self, like you said, it does make more sense then that our natural focus, if it's not on us, is going to mm -hmm. be on other things. and. Mm -hmm. The only one of those between other things and us that we can control is it is us. <laughs> and if we're Absolutely. not focusing on the only thing that we can control, we are therefore focusing on all of the things that are out of our control, which Absolutely. out of control means anxiety. Right. Even for instance, in terms of attachment. So this is a very real experience in like intimate relationships that okay. people, this context is, is just not common. So there's anxious attachment. So the focus is on the other person going away. So, and usually yeah. the pairing is an avoidant person who keeps going forward, <laughs> leaving mm -hmm. and the anxious person is going after that's Not how that out. anxiety shows up. Yeah. yeah. Because your attention and throughout my life, I have had, and 
still have remnants of this anxious attachment. And my goodness, the more I have nourished myself and reminded myself and done my work about who I am and my capacity, my potential and what I want to achieve and just healing that has decreased. Oh my God, so much. Well, (laughs) oh my God. Yeah, I bet. And I love that you said that because, um, I'm picturing a lot of uh, a lot of women do this in relationships. We see that picture oh that you God. just described of the anxious seeking after and the avoidant yes. running away and then more like, you know, and then it's like, I'm clingy, I'm needy, but uh, but that's because you don't love me. You don't love me. So I need to yes. come after you more. I need to smother you more. I need to. Absolutely. Um, but man, we lose ourselves in that process. We sure do. And even men. So even. Considering all attachment, everyone wants to be loved. Everyone yes. wants to to be acknowledged. Yes. Every single person, even if they're avoidant. That's right. <laughs> everyone wants this. Secure people, anxious people, avoidant people. Everyone yeah. wants this so much. We don't know how to do it. So you don't have to be adopted to have these issues. And That's right. uh, anxious can be in the form of a man and a yeah. woman. Yeah. It doesn't matter. But the fact that when you start shining the light back on yourself, that's when it shifts. That is when it it shifts. It really is. And look, you know that and I know that. And the reason that we know that is because we've gone to those dark places of focusing on ourselves, which is not, that is not like going down the rose lined path. That is hard work. It's uncomfortable. It's messy. Yes. Yes. And. And dramatically more rewarding as you work through that. But here's my question, because we live in a society, not just a society, a culture, a, uh, a time um, when I believe our brains have started to become rewired with even uh, further and further decreasing ability to delay gratification, right? I mean, technology does that mm-hmm. to us, right? In an instant, mm-hmm. I can be connected to anyone I want and, oh, there goes my notification. I wonder if somebody liked my page, right? Or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Um, so we can't, it's like we can't delay gratification. And so because of that, particularly in the mental health field, we, I believe that, and I think part of it has to do with insurance and, and uh mental health professionals fighting for parity, which I'm not sure is parity with medical care. Uh-huh. And so the the field of mental health, the field of self-work, the field of um, knowing yourself and understanding yourself and, and facing your emotions and understanding that has become highly medicalized. And because uh-huh. it's, yeah, so because it's become highly medicalized, our response is similar to that of the medical profession, which is medication or uh-huh which is basically medication, right? Mm -hmm. Talk therapy, unless you live in the Northeast or maybe out in the West Coast is kind of, you know, it's not in vogue. It's not what people do. There's a stigma attached to it. So how do we make that shift? Like as a culture, as a time, as a society, as women, like how do we make that shift that, how how do we make that self-work more palatable than the- uh-huh. Then the instant gratification of a pill is going to make me feel better. Awareness is the first step. So you are contributing greatly to this because you're having a conversation about it. Yeah. So it is rare that someone will hear something. Oh, yes, I must do that. And I know how <laughs> it takes time. Yeah, it does. Yeah. People, that is not what people are looking for in their lives. They are not looking to shine the light back on them. That is not what people are considering when they wake up in the morning, but it (laughs) must be part of the conversation. So however, it can become a part of your conversation, just talking, just hearing this. Yeah. No, some of, some of your listeners may never talk to someone else about it. I hope they will, but they, but it's in there now. 
That's a great point. Yeah. It's sitting in there and, re and resonating. And maybe they'll have another opportunity to hear something or read something, something in a movie where they will identify like, oh my God, that's me. Oh, that's what she said. Oh, yeah. so all these connections have to be made yeah. because despite that we're connected on social media and via the internet, we are so lonely. Yeah. Very. We are so lonely. Mm -hmm. So the conversations and the awareness, if, if in any way it can just become a part of daily life, if you just, okay, it's going back to <laughs> a, <laughs> um, a technical way of communicating, but send people a text sometimes, or actually, and I freak out. I'm like, oh my God, I'm just going to call. What if I right. just call this person? Right. What if I just call in allowing yourself to be vulnerable? Because I believe everyone has these moments that yeah. they want to reach out and yeah. they have something they deeply want to share and they don't. And, they and don't, I yep. think because of the whole Kobe Bryant thing, people are like, wow, if it can happen to him, it can happen to anyone. So yeah. what do I really want yeah. to say? Right. What do I want to know about my life? What does my life mean? And what does this person mean to me? And how can I live a life that I'm proud of? Yeah. What does it mean to be proud of my life and connect with people? What do when I am gone, what do I want people to say about me? What mm. What is the energy and the resonance of my life? What is that about? Yeah. Shifting our concentration and our awareness and how we live our moments and mm. how we experience each other. What, who do you want to be? Mm. And yes. how do you who go do you about to taking, be? Yes. Yeah. And we are. So accept that you are where you are. Yeah. It, you yeah. are the what is. You are That's the right. what is. And what else? Right. What else? Who do you yeah. want to be for your grandmother, or for your son, or for your yeah. child's little league team, or for your husband, or for your dog even? Yeah. I mean, the more I've become comfortable with myself, my relationship with my dog has changed. I can yes. see that he trusts me more. Right. So we have capacity to be different with strangers, with homeless people, with yes. all kinds of people, with music, with food. Yeah. The more we can take a little bit more time. Yes. To just to be open. What are you? What? What? What state am I in right now? What's yeah. happening in my body? Just take a nanosecond because yes. it's there. Mm -hmm. Just that's start wonderful. doing that. That's a, that's a level of awareness that starts. It's the proximity is right there, yeah. right there. What state am I in? Yeah. Oh, talk and give. So, okay. I just got to say this, <laughs> that sure. if your friend called you and your friend was in this state of frenzy, you would, it's highly unlikely and I would venture to say it wouldn't happen that you was like, oh, listen, I don't have time to talk to you. Just you know, <laughs> right. go call someone else. You wouldn't do that, but yeah. you do that to yourself all day long. All the time. All the time. All day long. Someone uh, cuts you off in traffic. It, you feel that, yeah. but you dismiss it. You but that was, that was an you. assault. Absolutely. Yeah. And it yeah. has, so just acknowledge like, oh my God, that felt bad because yeah. our, it's okay to be angry in our world, yes. but it yes. is not okay to be vulnerable, but just acknowledge. Right. Yeah. <sighs> Love it. What would you do if your daughter or your niece or you, some strange child came to you like, oh my God, you wouldn't say, well, I don't care, but right. that's what you're doing to yourself. Say, so just start yeah. becoming aware. Exactly. You can say, suck it up. Get over it. Exactly. What's wrong with you? That's how we talk to ourselves. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's beautiful. Beautiful reminder. So, hey, Nancy, what's on the horizon for you? I am looking forward to just embracing my new private practice and doing my community work and helping people live a more peaceful life. Yeah. My practice is it's a peace of mind practice. So oh, um, I just really want to help people know themselves so they yeah. don't have to be anxious. I, I'm really enjoying this work. And I want people I, to be proud of their lives. <laughs> and you're so good at it. You're so like, I'm already like, I feel like I do after a massage, like kind of just like, I feel so calm and peaceful right now. Oh. Just like listening to you and watching you talk. I know our listeners do too. So, hey, one thing. Um, I want to thank you. Your your wisdom is beautiful. Your heart is gorgeous. You shine. And I know that you've said some things that are going to resonate with the listeners today. So thank you for sharing this time yeah. and space with us. Very grateful to you. So one thing that I ask everybody 
two things, Nancy. One is somebody listening wants to connect with you. They want to reach out to you. They love what you're talking about. They want to work with you or they just want to get to know you better. What's the best way to do that? Email me. Be personal. Okay. All <laughs> um, right. Nancy at peaceofmindpractice.com. And the phone number is 510-567-4709. That's you just gave out your phone proximity. number on this show that's listened to all over the world. Did you know that the show is listened to all over the world? Yeah. Yeah, well, Kira. I've lived all over the world, so yay! <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, and we will we will include that email and the phone number uh, in the show notes. So, actually, we're not going to include the phone number in the show notes, but we're going to include the email address in the show notes. Okay. If you want the phone number, you're going to have to listen to the whole thing from the beginning <laughs> to the end. Um, right? That's a little treat. That's a little uh, carrot or the little uh, Easter egg that people say. That's I like it. Um, <laughs> And then the very last thing that I want to ask you, Nancy, before we close out that I ask every guest is, so we, we have women listening primarily. I think we have some men mm -hmm. that listen too that have reached out to me, but, uh, our, our target is women. And, um, the goal is to help them to know what's true and believe in what's true. So is there one truth that you would leave the listeners with that you would have them remember if they remember nothing else from this episode? Oh, just really get to know yourself. Be present and mm -hmm. you are with you all day long. This is your Ooh. life. This is as Ooh. far as we oh, wait, know, wait, this wait, is wait. our one chance. You are with you all day long. Day long. Yeah. And you so take you yourself wherever you go. Yeah. You take yourself wherever you go. Get to know you. You are amazing. Do you know what it takes to actually mm. breathe? All these uh, bodily functions that are happening all the time. Yes. You are yes. amazing. Start being aware of how your body feels. What just happened? What am I experiencing? What is the emotion? You have them. Yeah. You have the emotions and then you have thoughts. Right. Get to know these. Right. And the more you honor that it's all okay. You will yes. have crazy, zany, mean, horrible, wonderful, glorious, angelic yeah. thoughts all day yeah. long. Yes. It's all normal. Yes. Yes. Say that. It really is. Yep. It really is. So just start there. Start with you. And then you will start seeing the world differently. You will start accepting other people to the extent you can accept yourself. Your world will change and it will blossom. But yeah. start where you are because you are here. You, you are, are there. And it reminds me of that. Um, there's like a meme or something that says, if, if you can't stand to be around you, <laughs> absolutely going to stand to be around and you. That is often the case. So just yeah. start listening. Yeah. You listen to everyone else. You know, you Beautiful. do. You're always listening to other people at work, at home, and right. you're left depleted. Start listening. Yeah. Give to you what you're giving out all day long. Yes. All right. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Nancy. Wasn't she fantastic, you guys? I mean, I didn't even know we were going to talk about all of that. Having three names before she finally had her given name, Nancy, like she was given three different names in a very short period in the beginning of her life. I just find her story very fascinating. I find her character uh, to be just so inviting and so warm. And I'm so grateful for all of the wisdom that she shared with us today. And be sure to check her out at peaceofmindpractice.com. And I want to thank you again for tuning in. Please help me reach my goal of 1,000 five-star ratings on Apple Podcasts. All you have to do is go to Thriving Thoughts with Dr. Sherry, click on my show, scroll all the way to the bottom, and there it is. Click the fifth star. It's as simple as that, folks. Really appreciate you helping me get this message and get this word in front of other women who need to hear it. All right, my friends, we'll see you right here next week, every Sunday, where we're speaking truth over the lies so that we can thrive in any and every circumstance.